Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, joining me in the other line is my good buddy, Andrew Berkshire. Andrew, what's going on, man? Not much, man. Just getting ready for the playoffs, writing some playoff preview stuff for all the networks, and mm. I'm pretty excited. How about you? I'm pretty excited myself. I mean, it, it's funny how it kind of snuck up on me because for weeks there, I was just like, I kept talking about how I was ready for the regular season to end and how I, I was already shifting my sights towards the playoffs. But now that we have like the, this two or three day window to really just get all our ducks in a row and prepare for it, I, I feel like it's not enough time for me. I feel like I, I should have done some more prep work early on. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I felt like I was kind of struggling this year from like early February on. I was just like, I'm kind of done with this. And like, I kept on tossing out ideas like we should just cut this to a 60 game season or less than that. I'm, I'm like the the last third of the season now just becomes such a bore for me because like you kind of already know who's going to make it. And like the only team that really kind of snuck in was maybe Toronto and maybe like Ottawa sticking around was a bit of a surprise, but we, we kind of knew how the playoffs were going to shake out. Right. So it, it just like, it just felt like a drag. And then you're so focused on it being a drag that when the playoffs come, like last week, I was just overrun with, with work, with the <laughs> preview stuff. And I was totally caught unprepared. So I'm with you on that. Well, and the kind of weird thing that throws a monkey wrench into all this is, you know, as you mentioned for a lot of these teams, um, They've already either known where they stand in the league or, or, you know, like the Capitals have pretty much known that they're going to have the one seed for a while now. So it's like some of the results that they've had over the past couple of weeks might not necessarily be entirely reflective of, of what they're capable of if they, you know, f- are able to quote unquote flip that switch that we always hear about. And so it's kind of tough because we know that. You know, we want to prioritize the last 25 games or so because that's generally a pretty good indicator of how, how well a team is playing heading into the playoffs and how they're going to fare once the postseason starts. But at the same time, you kind of really have to go a bit deeper and go on a case by case basis to figure out whether the results are actually indicative of how good that team is. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to look at like how many players teams are sitting down the stretch. Like, 
you know, the last couple games for Montreal, they were, they were pretty severely outchanced, but they were also sitting uh, like Weber, Markov, Pacioretty sat out a game, like almost all their big guys. And for some reason, Alex Galchenyuk is playing on the fourth line wing, which, you know, that's something that we'll get into when we cover <laughs> that series. But, you know, it's definitely not indicative of how they've played under Claude Julien. So it, it definitely is a case-by-case basis. Well, and I mean, like, look at the Senators were playing Bobby Ryan in their final game of the season, and that's, I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> you you got to give those, you know, career fringe guys a chance to to show, you know? Yes, exactly. Um all right, so the plan for for this show is you and I are going to bounce around the Eastern Conference bracket and we're going to I've laid out somewhere between like 3 to 5 questions for each series and hopefully we'll be able to blast through through all of them. Um I, I should give the disclaimer. Uh it kind of goes without saying, but just for those out there that that might not be aware, uh Listen, the, the playoffs are a crapshoot. I think both you and I will fully acknowledge that. And, and a lot of wild and unpredictable stuff's going to happen that's going to make our predictions and our, uh, analysis look very dated and make us look like idiots. But I think that rather than trying to, you know, say this team's going to win for sure in this amount of games, I, I want to use this as a platform to kind of just try and wrap our heads around what's, what's happening, maybe get some better educated guesses going and try to just attack it from different angles to see whether there's interesting matchups or things that people should be looking for when they watch these games. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like being wrong is kind of half the fun of the preview game, right? Like yeah. that, that's like, Especially when you're employed as an analyst, like having giving somebody the opportunity, just a random Joe on the street to come back at you in a couple of weeks and call you an idiot is it's the fun part. Yes. Yeah, they definitely won't be short on those opportunities in the next couple of weeks. That's for sure. Um, for let's, sure. Let's let's OK, let's start with the Canadians. Um, let's do the Canadians Rangers series because uh, I feel like that's your bread and butter right here. It's right in your wheelhouse. And I think that the interesting thing that um I was really looking at when I was trying to prepare for this series was how uh, first of all I was looking for differences in how the Canadians have changed under Claude Julien versus Michel Therrien and something that really stuck out to me was uh the differences that they've made with their penalty kill and and both in terms of how often they're going on the penalty kill with their discipline and and how they're how effective they've been when they actually do have to kill off those penalties um is that something that you've noticed watching these games yeah, absolutely. Uh, for whatever reason, under Tarion, they were running a diamond formation penalty kill, which uh, I think we, we've probably talked about this before, but there like hasn't been a successful diamond penalty kill in the NHL for something like 20 years. So I don't understand why. Like Every year, one team tries it, and it's always this huge disaster, but it takes them the whole season to figure out why. And it's like, why? Why are, why are you doing this? It makes no sense in the modern NHL. But that was like the first thing Julian did was get rid of that and go to an aggressive box and it's been, you know, a, a total change. They they basically went back to the what they were doing last year when the Canadians had a very good penalty kill, even though they were, you know, struggling all year or not all year, but for most of the year to uh, have success at five on five or on the power play. Their penalty kill was good, and mm-hmm. they've gone from I think they were the most penalized team or the second most penalized team in the NHL under Tarion and the least penalized team under Julian. Now, there's nothing that they could change. To make that drastic of a change, like that's partially some random noise in there, and it's just kind of funny. Right. But they're definitely a little bit more disciplined under Julian, and I think a part of that is Terrian's system was that like puck pursuit style where you're always chasing after the puck and trying to win puck battles, whereas Julian likes to keep the puck under control, so you have less chance to hook a guy, right? Mm. So it's just 
a little bit less chance to to get those penalties, and I think that makes a a significant difference. And that combined with the penalty kill, I think that that's one thing that I wrote for uh, RDS. If you don't mind me mentioning, absolutely, go for uh, it. Earlier today, actually, was that the Canadians can now play because their penalty kill has been so good without fear of taking penalties. And I feel like in the playoffs, that's a big deal because penalties are down anyway. Mm -hmm. So if you can play in a way that if you take a penalty, you know you can kill it, you can take some extra risks and create more chances that way. And I feel like for that reason, in the playoffs, I always think that the penalty kill is more important than the power play. You know, because you can't count on drawing a penalty, but you can play in a way that, you can take penalties that uh, won't get called or have no fear of them being called. And, and when they aren't or when they are, you're, you're good. You know, you've got that confidence going. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's tough because I think the common uh, trend that we're going to keep alluding to when we discuss the Canadians here is like trying to figure out uh, what actually is directly uh, Claude Julien's doing versus just random noise over a short 25 game span. But like, as you mentioned, I know that Tyler Dello recently pointed this out at, at The Athletic that the rate of obstruction penalties the Canadians are taking has dropped significantly. And, you know, that could be random noise, but it also is just convenient that pretty much as soon as they change their coach, uh, there's, you can kind of point to this, this, this change, this dramatic change that happened uh, during the season. And, and the other thing is, you know, with the penalty kill, it's tough because we always hear how the goalie is has to be your best penalty killer and he's the last line of defense. And generally, if a guy's stopping a, a high percentage of the pucks, like the penalty kill in front of him is going to look much better. And I think that they've improved from like 80, from an 850 save percentage on the penalty kill to like over 900 uh, under Claude Julien. But I know as, as our good buddy Mark Dumont's pointed out to me, the the rate at which they're giving up the the high danger opportunities during those during those sequences has dri- has dipped dramatically. So it makes sense that the goalies uh, are faring better if the team in front of them is kind of sheltering them a bit better and not giving up those grade A opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And like this is one thing that I wasn't able to really figure out because like it, despite him getting fired this year, the last two years and the disaster of last year, the last two years are probably the best that Michel Therrien has coached in his NHL career. Like mm-hmm. from like he's kind of started to figure out the possession thing. And we could say that the roster improved and, and uh, he got enough pieces that it was hard to screw up. But like, I think most times if you, if you're running a good possession system that does reflect on the coach. So he had success in that way, but his special teams work this year, I, like Obviously, it's not all on him. Uh, Kirk Muller was brought in to fix the power play, and that didn't work. And, you know, an- another assistant coach runs the penalty kill. That's J.J. Daniel. But the buck stops with the with the head coach, right? And their special teams this year were abysmal. Like, uh, they were 30th in high-danger scoring chances and scoring chances and shots generated on the power play. And they were 30th in shots allowed, scoring chances allowed, high-danger scoring chances allowed on the penalty kill. Like, I've never seen that before, one team being so bad at both. And, like, luckily for them, they had Shea Weber back on the power play who could just, like, shoot through a maze of legs or through kneecaps, you know, to score a couple goals in the power play. And their conversion rate was actually okay. But they have the highest uh, shooting percentage on the power play in the NHL by 2%, and they still have a mid-range 
power play. Yeah. And like they've been so lucky on that front. And I think it, it's kind of disappeared in the last couple of weeks. I think since the trade deadline, they're clicking at about 8% on the power play. And that's the one area that Julian hasn't been able to improve. Uh, I think part of the reason for that is the lack of using Alex Galchenyuk, but uh, it, it's just like, they, they don't understand that you can't run a power play these days anymore where all you're looking for is the point shot. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, you have Shea Weber, and that's a huge asset. But like, Shea Weber's biggest function on a power play should be people trying to cover Shea Weber, opening you up spots down low. Right. He's a great secondary option, but if he's your primary option, you're not going to click above like sixteen percent long term. It's just not going to work that way. Right. It's kind of like Ovechkin with the with the Capitals power play. Obviously, um, he's getting better better opportunities closer to the net, but it's just like the threat of him out there has this gravitational pull on the defense that should, in theory, open up opportunities for other guys that are, that are on the ice with him at the same time. And no, you're right with that. I, I think that spinning this forward, um, it's not necessarily has anything to do with either of these teams, but I was thinking about this a lot this weekend when news came out that the Stars weren't bringing Lindy Ruff back next season. And, you know, the Stars this season had historically bad set of special teams, both in terms of... Uh, their their power play was fine, but they were just conceding so many opportunities coming the other way, and then their penalty kill was just absolutely disastrous. And I'm a big believer that you know you have to have a certain baseline level of talent or chess pieces to work with. But I think ultimately with special teams, it's so much down to structure and specialization, and and you know doing stuff that makes sense there schematically. And I'm always kind of curious and and puzzled when teams uh, half ass it there and don't really go above and beyond trying to devote resources to getting top-notch assistant coaches that can really actually uh, perfect those things as opposed to just kind of just you know hiring guys that might just be general assistant coaches and being like ah yeah you're just gonna run the penalty kill this year and you're gonna run the power play and we'll see how it goes it just seems like considering how how much the margins shrunk uh in the nhl in terms of separating yourself from the competition like this is one area where you could really see noticeable gains and teams aren't really taking advantage of it and i mean some teams obviously are but i feel like there's definitely teams out there that aren't yeah, especially teams who have like the fiscal power to do so. You know, you can pay an assistant coach a good one as much as what head coaches were paid five years ago, and you're probably not going to hurt if you're Montreal, Toronto, New York, even Chicago, Pittsburgh. You know, like teams that have some some success that's uh, that's bred into them, that's allowed them to make more money. And I'm totally with you on that. Uh, the whole special teams thing is even more important. I think Arik Parnas was ahead of his time because you look at the way everything's uh, kind of like the spread has disappeared in terms of uh, the possession game, like Corsi this year. Mm-hmm. I think it was 22 teams were between 48% and 52% Corsi this year and yep. score adjusted. Like that's crazy. And, and it seems like, you know, uh, I know that David Johnson is, you know, heckled a lot on, on Twitter for like his criticisms of, of using Corsi, but uh, like sometimes he, he says some stuff that, you know, it it's valid. And the last two years, Corsi has been less predictive of future goals than than it had been for the previous eight or so. And I feel like as like every team starts to accept it as a metric and push towards, you know, building up that possession game, you are going to see the spread close. And, and we're we're seeing that right now. And other things are going to have to be focused on. And special teams is probably the great area of exploitation that we haven't explored or at least not enough. Uh, I mean, what percentage of goals are scored on the power play? Mm. 
you know, I, I, yeah, I don't have the answer to that, but I'd imagine like it's it just so tough uh, with you know unless they get rid of uh, the offside rule and they open up the ice a bit more. Like if you're just banking on creating room and opportunities for scoring at five on five, it's really tough. Like teams are getting really good at defending, and it's so cramped in that little zone there when you have ten guys out there that like you gotta try and try and make most of it when you have the opportunities to do so. Yeah, absolutely. And it's weird because like this year scoring actually went up a tiny bit mm-hmm. even though power plays went down. So it's like the opposite of what you would expect. Right. And and like that's good, but the whole power plays going down thing, like like you said with it uh, Dello posted, like that's a that's a major problem with the NHL. And there seems to be like this fascination with like oh let them play because if you if the refs make a call you're interfering with the game. Well, this is like the hugest pet peeve of mine in hockey outside of like play the right way, don't talk, <laughs> be boring, crap. Right. But, like, that letting them play is letting them cheat, yeah. you know? like, And all it does is reward the best cheater. I, I feel like a crackdown on obstruction needs to happen again, similar to the 2005-2006 season, because it's getting pretty bad. And, you know, I, I know that you're a big proponent of three-on-three, three. I'd like to get a little bit of that speed back into five-on-five. Five. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, all right. So let's talk about uh I think the obvious matchup here in this series um beyond the 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 Habs penalty kill versus the Rangers power play which we just discussed is is Price versus Lundqvist um you know heading into the year I had no doubt in my mind that whatever order you wanted to have them in uh they were the the one and two in terms of uh in the league's pecking order for goalies and Lundqvist had a had a bad year a very un- uncharacteristically poor year by his lofty standards you know he heated up there in the midseason and looked like his old self but then he hit a, another lull um in March and April and his season-long numbers aren't very impressive they're hovering around league average which is a weird spot for him to be in uh Price has been his his standard awesome self like do you think that this is as one-sided in Price's favor as it looks like or do you think that Listen, in a, in a seven-game series, uh, goaltending can be very unpredictable, and Lundqvist has shown us that he's very capable of just standing on his head and stealing a series with a bunch of, like, 45 safe performances. You know, I think Lundqvist's playoff record speaks for itself, and he does seem to usually find another level there. But at the same time, like, if the Canadians had not made a coaching change and had somehow found themselves in this position, I would say that it, it would be more equal but the way that Claude Julien has cut down on high danger scoring chances, like he's made Price's job so much easier. And as much as I'm a, a fan of Carey Price and I think he's the best goaltender in the league, he hasn't been at the level that he was at the previous two years this year. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, in that middle of the season where he, he had almost three months where he was below 90% save percentage. And most of that was due to the defensive breakdowns that the Canadians were experiencing at that time, they're like historically bad penalty kill. I've never seen anything so bad, mm-hmm. but like you look at his like expected save percentage and it was like 860. So you're like, okay, so he's still above average, but he's below 900. And then uh, Claude Julian came back in and like the expected save percentage goes up and so does his save percentage. But I don't think Carey Price had this, you know, miraculous return to heart trophy form. I think that he's been, 
carry Price's average over the last four or five years or so, but he hasn't hit that like like what he was in the 2014 Olympics or uh, what he was when he won the Hart Trophy or even the beginning of last season. If he can find that level in the playoffs, then it's like even tougher. But I think it's more Claude Julien's coaching effect right now than Carey Price being unbeatable. And, you know, maybe that makes it easier for the Rangers who are much better at scoring goals than than the Canadians are. But at the same time, like, I don't love using records against teams for most players, but Carey Price has something on the Rangers. Like, it's weird, man. Like, it's four years now, I think, where he has a 960 save percentage against them. It's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah, no, well... Beyond the, like, I think both goalies are going to be fine regardless of how they play in the regular season, and, and I think that they're going to elevate their performance. And what makes this series more fascinating than anything for me is just like how we characterize these two teams coming to this series because the Canadians uh, have been much more of a volume team this year, whereas the Rangers are are your typical uh, shot quality team where it's like the reason I'm I'm having such a difficult time properly reading them and, and evaluating them and sort of deciding whether to go with my, with my heart or my head in picking this series is like the Rangers really have such a wide range of outcomes. I think that no team in the playoffs has a bigger gap between their ceiling and basement where like, if you catch them on the right day or week and they're clicking, they're just, they're just a, a whirlwind. I mean, they're going to put a five spot on you before you even know what hit you. But then when things are going bad and they go south for them, they really just fall apart and they can't seem to retrieve the puck and the opposition is skating laps around them and trying to figure out which of those teams is going to show up in this series and how they're going to play on any given week is is, uh, is a very tough thing to figure out. So I, I don't know, like I, I imagine you're probably leaning towards picking the Canadians in this series and I think I am too, but this is one of those where it's like I could really, really see it going either way. Yeah, I, I'm pretty heavily in the Canadians camp in this series. And the reason why is because as much as uh, the, the Rangers are good at creating shot quality for themselves, mm-hmm. they're so bad defensively. Yeah, And like that's been you know part of why Lundqvist has looked so bad this year is because they're just rotten in their own zone. Like I, I think they give up the third or fourth most high-danger scoring chances in the league. And, and the teams that give up more are like Vancouver, Arizona, you know, Colorado, and those aren't teams that you want to be associated with when you're heading into the playoffs. So unless Lundqvist becomes like superhuman again, or or price really falters, I think that the Canadians are going to have like a a lot easier road than the gap in like record in the regular season would show. Like I, I would be legitimately surprised if it took more than six games. Hmm. Like, I think that this series, has a chance of being a sweep that that's how heavily like the way that Claude Julien has flipped the script in terms of like high danger scoring chance differential for the Canadians uh, since he took over, they're at about 55 and a half percent. Whereas the Rangers are at like 43%, which is where the Canadians were before Terry yes. was fired. So it's like you're facing your old team. And it's weird because the teams are almost built similarly, you know, like, I think the Canadians have a better top end defenseman outside of like Ryan McDonough. I don't think there's much there on the Rangers blue line, but like both teams have like a generally slow footed blue line with a couple of exceptions as, and like a pretty speedy forward group. That's not super big, but like has a couple of big players. Uh, I guess Rick Nash is the max patch ready other team. He's just a little bit older. Mm -hmm. So, so I feel like New York is just like, they're at the wrong end of their competitive period. And the Canadians are just a little bit behind them in terms of age. So they, they have that advantage as well. 
Yeah, that's fair. I think when you mentioned uh, that you wouldn't be surprised if there was a sweep, I was trying to think, like racking my brain, thinking whether there's ever been a time that I've picked a picked a sweep in an NHL playoff series. I feel like I'm, I've, I've, I haven't been that confident about a team winning in a long time. It's always like ah, it'll probably go five or six games. I mean, and that's kind of like the safe way to go. But it's it's always just so tough being like so one sided in one corner. Um, but no, I, I think you I think you make fair points. I think that. The, the Canadians are objectively the better team and they have uh, a more uh, logical and predictive path towards winning this series. But at, like I said, I think that there is like when you, when, whenever you evaluate these series, you, I, I try to think like, okay, what needs to happen for this team to win this series? And I can definitely like point to a few things happening that would put the Rangers on top. Whereas there are a few, might be a couple other series that we're going to talk about here in a bit that it, it's tougher to do so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kreider can change the course of the series just like he did last time in the first game. You oh, never hey, know, now so. come on! You, you you're an objective uh, you're an objective journalist now, Andrew. You can't be you can't be talking about the the stuff the stuff like this as such a Habs homer. Really? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm a Habs homer for that series, but not anymore. Yeah. I, I, can, I can be objective now, but yes. I can like retrospectively not be. Yes, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I guess they're, the positive is that the Canadians won't have Alexi Emelin because he got injured, so mm. he can't help Kreider into the net either. Yes. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's let's switch gears here and talk uh, Capitals Leafs. Um, I'm not approaching these series in any sort of a logical order. I just laid them out like this, so we're going to do the series next. Um, the first thing that I think we need to discuss here, I was, when I was prepping for this series and I was looking at some of the numbers, uh, you know, Braden Holtby has arguably been like the best goalie we've ever seen in the playoffs. I mean, he has a 937 save percentage in just under 50 games. He's been remarkable, and yet he has a losing record all, uh, all time in the playoffs because the other goalie he faces just always plays pretty much just as well. Uh, like he has a 937 save percentage to go out posing goalies have like a 934 or something like that in those same games. So I don't know if, uh, if, you know, it sounds like Freddie Anderson is going to be ready to go for this series. Uh, we'll see if he has any lingering effects from that headshot he took from Tom Sestito, but I don't know if he's going to be capable of keeping up with Holtby in this series, but just based on how often it's happened, like I, I know that the Capitals are probably just like traumatized at this point, just based on how much trouble they've had scoring in some of these series. Yeah. I feel like, you know, Freddie Anderson doesn't, he's never been a guy who really impresses me. I think he's a, he's a league average guy uh, for a starter. He's had, he's run hot and cold. So like maybe he'll run hot in the beginning of the playoffs, but I feel like this series I feel so bad for Toronto because I, I really wanted them to have some success, and there there's nobody who they could match up worse against than the mm, Capitals because yeah. it feels like everything that the Leafs are good at, the Capitals are better at. You know, like the Leafs improved their goaltending this season. Well, okay, they're gonna have to face Braden Holtby. You know, the Leafs don't have a very good defense. Well, be prepared to face like Shattenkirk, Niskanen, Carlson, like so much speed and offense from that group. And then, you know, Toronto's got a legitimately excellent, great, deep forward group. Now show up against the deepest forward group in the NHL. Like uh, it's just brutal. And the only way that I could see this going in Toronto's favor is if they shake the caps confidence in the first game, you know, like if they win and especially if it's like a heartbreaking thing in overtime and you look at, you know, the Capitals have the highest, the second highest PDO since 2008 this year. Yeah. 
and the first highest <laughs> since that time was the 0910 caps. Yes. So I, I look at that and I'm like, oh man, and who did they face in 0910? Like the worst team to make the playoffs in like the last 10 years was those Canadians. They were awful. And then all of a sudden, you know, Halak went nuts and saved everything. And, you know, PK Subban gets called up from the AHL and he's all of a sudden a number one defenseman. Camilleri scoring every single game. And, you know, Jose Theodore gets uh, turns into a sieve all of a sudden and Varlamov's not much better. You know, I, I think this Caps team is so much stronger than that 0910 team, even if they might not be. Uh, I don't remember if they have more points or less, but mm-hmm. they, they are not like the offensive juggernaut. But yeah. I think they're they're better anyway. The league scoring has gone down a little bit. But, uh, you know, there's always that notion that the Caps can get shaken mentally. But I, I just feel like this is their year because it has to be. You know, like they seem so much more focused. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It, it, this is, is another great example of that uh, going with your heart versus going with your head because like every every logical uh, thing you could look at or, or, or quantify, you'd say like the Capitals are amazing and they're the best team in the league and there's no reason why they shouldn't win the cup this year but then it's like we've we've been down this road so often that it's perfectly normal human nature to be a little gun shy about it i think it's a, it's, it's a really good point about how this is a tough matchup for the leafs beyond just the fact that the capitals are really good it's like if you you know the thing that makes the leafs so effective is that they essentially play the most frantic fastest pace in the league and while it makes them fun and exciting and and effective it also exposes them sometimes in their sloppy defensive zone coverage and the capitals are uniquely positioned to make them pay for every single one of those errors and it's tough like it, it, another another thing is you know the leafs have made a killing this year just being playing ahead constantly and allowing them to play an aggressive pace with the lead. But the Capitals are the one team that's led more frequently than them. And I know that, you know, that's probably going to get beaten down on these broadcasts where you bring up the the record of teams when they score first and all that. But I think that just based on the fact that these are the first and second teams in the league in terms of how, how frequently they've led the season, it is another kind of interesting little wrinkle to the series to consider. Yeah. And I feel like as much as like we could focus on the team dynamics and like the roster construction and what makes the Capitals better, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there that what might be the big difference in this series is the ability to play with and defend the lead. And the Capitals are great at it, and the Maple Leafs are really terrible at it mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I don't know if it's their like too uh, aggressive in not sitting back or or what, but. They, they just really struggle to to sit on leads and and protect them even like multi-goal leads and that's probably going to be their undoing in this series and yeah I, I find it like if you're not picking the capitals in this series i admire your either fandom or creativity you know like there's got to be some some really good reason to pick the leafs as much as like i want them to have a long series and have some fun i feel like this is going to be like uh, the Penguins, the first time they made the playoffs with Crosby, where they went up against the Senators and just got, you know, like the Senators were at the end of their cup window yeah. and they just throttled the Penguins. And it was like a wake up call to those young kids. Like, this is what it takes. And I feel like that's what the Leafs are in for. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, we've seen teams in the past make or miss the playoffs in the final day of the season. And that must be uh, heart wrenching. But like. I can't envision a bigger gap in fortune or, or uh, you know, potential outcome here than the Leafs going from playing the Senators in the first round, which it looked like it was going to happen as recently as yesterday, to now going against the Caps because 
while I was after they beat the Penguins on Saturday, I started thinking about a Leaf Senators series, and I was gonna pick the Leafs in like five pretty easy games where like three of them were gonna be one sided blowouts for them. And now I'm leaning towards picking the Capitals in five games in a similar series, just in, yeah. in the opposite direction. So it's like it's it's crazy how much changed based on that one loss to a Blue Jackets team that had nothing to play for, and it's just like I don't know. That I, that, listen for the Leafs. Uh, this has been a a, ma- a smashing success for them this season, and pretty much everything that happens from this point is gravy, and they're uh, they're ahead of the game, but. Uh, it, that must kind of suck just based on how how optimistic things were looking on Saturday night and then how they're looking now heading into the series. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, like you, I was going to pick the Leafs over the Senators in basically a walk. And, you know, I'll I'll say the same for, for the Boston Bruins. But uh, it, I think that one game, or like you could go anywhere. You could go like any of the shootouts that the Leafs lost of the eight of them. They only won one was the difference between possibly playing like, you know, 14 playoff games to four or five. Yeah, <laughs> that that's pretty brutal, uh, both from MLSE's perspective and for those kids to be able to gain some like real playoff experience, which would be like super awesome. And I think also for the fans, like I love watching the Maple Leafs at this point; they're super exciting to watch. And I think this series, even if it's like just a cakewalk for the for the Capitals, I think it's going to be really fun to watch because I think both these teams play like pretty offensive styles. Even though Barry Trotz gets the the uh, you know, he's a defensive coach insult. Yeah. I think he's pretty good at coaching offense with, with this team anyway. Yeah. And they definitely have the, uh, the horses to score those goals. I, I think, yeah. you know, you, you raised this earlier and this is a, a good thing for us to discuss. Like, do you think that this is the best Capitals team we've seen in the Ovechkin era? Because listen, their underlying numbers aren't as good as they were in that 08, 09 season when they lost to the Penguins in, in the in game seven of round two. And they're much more eerily similar to that 09, 10 team you mentioned where, you know, they're really good across the board, but they are also, uh, have had some good fortunes with the, with the percentages. And it's, it's a bit scary when you consider that that's, pretty flimsy and can sometimes change in a dime but at the same time like you look at this team and i think it's the deepest team they've had during this run i mean i I really don't see any flaws especially if they're playing nate schmidt over brooks orpic and like it just i i it's it's tough to find uh, a place where the leafs will be able to expose them or take advantage they can pretty much just roll all 18 of their players without worry of uh completely cratering on the ice yeah like you said they don't really have a weakness and what makes me think this is their best Capitals team, even though you know they, they've had teams that controlled possession a little bit better, uh, is those teams didn't have Braden Holpe either. You know, like Semyon Varlamov became a good goaltender, although he, he struggled lately. But I mean, who wouldn't struggle in Colorado? Mm-hmm. But uh, Braden Holpe is just so much better. You know, uh, and I, I think that he's the thing that that I like about Braden Holpe is you get the same performance pretty much every night. And part of that is, you know, do credit to the defense that the Capitals play because they do play excellent defense. They make it a lot easier on him than most goal, goalies, uh, most goalies get, but they've, it's a, it's a really good, well-constructed roster. And like, so someone tweeted the other day, like if you could hire any GM coach combo in the league to start your team who would it be and i i honestly thought maybe brian mcclellan because you look at what he's done in the last couple of years and like he says okay i'm going to go out a couple and get a couple top six forwards and then he just goes and does it yeah like you know no matter what he got kevin shattenkirk for not very much like he just does what he says he's going to do and makes these huge moves like even like people can 
disparage uh, TJ Oshie for you know his shooting percentage is mental this year, and he's obviously not going to be as good next year. Yep. But he still got TJ Oshie for what Troy Brower and like a depth pick or something like that. Like, yeah, no, it was for a go- it was for a goalie that he wound up getting back in, as a throw-in in the Shattenkirk trade. So it's uh, oh, it's geez, like, no, it's it's, it's it, and it, that is very gangster on his part, where he's just basically calling a shot and then doing it, and it's like letting the league know ahead of time and still pulling it off. And it's he doesn't get the credit he deserves because he did inherit the foundation of this team. But at the same time, um, like that's, this is something that George McPhee was ultimately his undoing where he tried to find a supporting cast for Ovechkin and Backstrom and so on and so forth. And he just completely flamed out by, you know, giving up Philip Forsberg for Martin Erat and giving up Cody Eakin for, for Mike Ribeiro. And, and, you know, those moves just completely backfired on him. Whereas that is something that, uh, Brian McClellan has just thrived at and he's really, uh, insulated the top guys here with, with, you know, Lars Zeller and Justin Williams and TJ Oshie and you go on down the line and it's like, this is a really, really good team. So I think that the, the best place to end on this series is how, like, what's, what's the scenario for the Leafs to pull off the upset and shock the world and win this? Other than, as you mentioned, jumping out to a, a quick start and maybe getting the capitals to to overthink things and 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 not play their game like i think the one thing that i point to is the capitals weirdly enough considering how often they had the puck were i think like the fourth or fifth most penalized team in the league this season and the leafs power play was right up there with the capitals amongst like the top two or three in the league so that could be one area where the caps play you know just undisciplined hockey for whatever reason and the leafs make them pay and just score a bunch of quick goals like that could be one way but otherwise if this turn keep stays at a five on five game like i just don't really see how the leafs are gonna be able to keep up with them yeah i I totally agree with you the power play is a secret for the leafs and and if they can get the capitals taking penalties they, they can rack them up uh i know the leafs this year created more scoring chances overall than any than any other team. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- those rookies were ridiculous, you know. And, and Austin Matthews, man, I can't say enough good things about him. I, I think he for the next ten years he's the best goal scorer in the NHL. But I think the big thing that they need is they need Freddie Anderson to be a wall. You know, he he's got to put up like a nine thirty two or something like that to to win this series or even have a chance to win this series. He can't put up a league average save percentage. That's just not going to be good enough for this team to beat, uh, to beat the Capitals. So you've got to, you know, go with that Capitals curse and somehow have a nine thirty save percentage against them in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. Uh, let's hear, let's take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors and we'll, uh, we'll pick it up on the other end. Let me give all of you a quick heads up about SeatGeek, who have been kind enough to both sponsor the show and also provide those of you who aren't skipping past the segment, essentially some house money to work with. It's pretty sweet being a sports fan these days. Uh, The baseball season's underway, and most importantly, the NBA and NHL playoffs are finally here. If you've been waiting around for the right opportunity to go check out a game and enjoy the live experience of being in a building with a bunch of other crazed maniacs with similar interests screaming their heads off, this is as good a time as any to do so. SeatGeek can help you do just that. They've got a really handy mobile app that requires only a few clicks to find the best values on tickets that are out there. And when you finally pick something out to your liking, They'll even provide you with a $20 rebate to use on future ones as well. To get your own $20 rebate on tickets, all you have to do is download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, enter the promo code PDO, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. All you've got to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today and you'll get those $20. Now let's get back to the show. All right, uh, let's do Bruins Senators. Um, 
I think this should be a pretty quick chat. Uh, I was, I was, I was looking at, you know, I'm always fascinated what we can learn from past history. And even though the game has changed and the product has changed, like there's still interesting trends you can look at. And I noticed that the senators had a negative goal differential this year. And I went back and looked, uh, how often that's happened for playoff teams and how they fared in the postseason, and it's happened like ten times or so since two thousand five. And I think every team except that two thousand nine ten Montreal Canadiens team that made that improbable run to the conference finals got bounced in round one, and most of them won like one game, maybe two. Like like none of them even really forced a game seven. So uh, history is definitely against the Senators making this a series. And then you look on the other end of the spectrum and. You know, teams that have controlled over 55% of the of the shots at 5-on-5, like the Bruins have had this year, uh, more of them have either made the Stanley Cup final or won it than lost in the first round. So it's it's like pretty much any way you slice and dice this, it's heavily leaning towards a, a Bruins just cakewalk. But I don't know, talk me into like what, what, what has to happen for the Senators here to make it a series and potentially even even pull this one out? Oh man, that, that's tough. I feel like what happens? What has to happen for the Senators is the same thing that happened for them in uh, the 2013 playoffs. And Craig Anderson's got to be playoff Craig Anderson, you know. Like, and this is kind of getting repetitive because I keep on saying the underdog needs to have great goaltending. Yeah. But I mean, like, obviously that that's true in the playoffs. As much as I'm being like uncreative, uh, I, I like I have a lot of respect for Craig Anderson and the way he plays. Uh, and you know, maybe there's some inspiration there, rallying around the the personal strife that's gone on with him and uh, his family this this year and this, the senators are just like totally amped obviously eric carlson i don't think there's any doubt that eric carlson is going to be who we think he's going to be uh, mark stone being healthy is a big deal <laughs> it'd be nice if bobby ryan showed up mm. you know if, if he still has any hands left but uh I feel like the Senators of of all the series in the first round, this is the one that I'm most sure about. You know, like as much as I don't think the Leafs have much of a chance, like there's a chance that they can upset Washington. I feel like Boston's just gonna run over the Senators in this series. And you know, like as good as Craig Anderson is, like Tuka Rask is just as good, if not better. And the Bruins have the structure to play you know, any kind of style that you want, <laughs> like the offense that they've developed on that top line now, like uh, Pasternak, Bergeron and Marshawn are all in the top 15 in the NHL in scoring chances produced this year. Like they're crazy good. And that line's also insane defensively. So it's like you've, you, no matter who you're matching against that line, you've lost. So like count out that line yeah. <laughs> and like, which line are the senators going to put against them? Like Pajot, good luck yeah well it's not a series against the canadians so it won't be that effective no it's, yeah there you go it's uh okay here here's here's the blueprint for the senators i'm a bit wary of this bruins blue line with the potential that carlo and Krug could either miss or be that's a good point be limited um you know it, it sounds like they they just signed uh charlie mcavoy to his elc and it sounds like he could suit up for them, but I mean, he's played like a couple of games in Providence and hasn't seen any NHL run. So expecting anything big from him, regardless of his pedigree, seems like a leap of faith. And then otherwise, like, listen, Chara's, even though he's not primes, they know Chara is still a beast and can make anyone he plays with look good. But beyond that, it's like a lot of Adam McQuaid and Kevin Miller and John Michael Lyles. And I think that that is like one area where they could crumble and if if rask doesn't back them up in net and, and and make a lot of saves like that's that's where they could get into trouble but 
beyond that, it, it's it's tough. I think that something I noticed was, you know, the Sens this year, for whatever reason, and I think the reason is they tried to spread the wealth a bit and and help out their depth players. They didn't really play this this Hoffman Stone Tourist line a lot. I think they played like ninety minutes together or so this season at five on five after playing like two fifty last year, and they've been as you'd expect, just absolutely dominant, like nearly 60% of shots, you know, 56, 57% of goals. Like you go on down the line, they've just absolutely tilted the ice whenever they've been on, been out there. So I think that like, if you get those three guys out with Carlson, I'd love to see that match up against that Berger online. Like that could be just an epic back and forth slugfest. But, but beyond that, there, uh, there isn't much for Ottawa to, to, to hang their hat on. No, there isn't. Although, you know what, here's, here's the route for Ottawa to win. As we know from Twitter, Charlie McAvoy really hates the Boston Bruins. Mm. So maybe he's, you know, an agent Sleep provocateur. Agent. Yes. Yeah, he's he's in there and he's going to ruin it for them. So maybe that's the route. But honestly, yeah, even like if they were to match up that line again, which I, I have a lot of respect for those guys, I feel like they'd still lose big time to that pressure online. Yeah. And the Bruins, like, yeah, they don't have much on D. But then again, you look at what they were running on D when they won the Stanley Cup, and it wasn't too much then. And obviously, Zidane Char is not the same player. And, like, I remember in uh, 2014 when the Canadians played the Bruins, there was, like, a concerted effort to just try to make Chara skate. Like, that was part of the game plan. Mm-hmm. And, like, games 5, 6, and 7, man, Chara was dead. Yeah. Like he just he just had nothing left to the point where I think he scored one of the goals in game second game seven against his own net. You know, like uh, Briere just played him really bad. And like when Daniel Briere, who was like 36 at the time, is making you look foolish, that's that's pretty rough, man. So so Chara, if he has to you know play heavy heavy minutes like he used to, that's a huge problem for the Boston Bruins because as much as you know. Uh, Ottawa doesn't have much defensive depth either. They still have Eric Carlson who could play 30 minutes a night and probably not break a sweat. He might so, need to play 40 in this series if we're being he honest. Might. <laughs> I mean, Mark Methot's out. So like yeah. they've gotten some injuries to their blue line too. Although, you know, Methot, uh, I thought he struggled a lot this year and Carlson was actually much better with, I don't, I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but Clausen. Yeah. Is that how you Clayson? would pronounce it? I don't know. Yeah. Clayson? Fred, Fred, Freddie Clayson. Yeah. Let's go with that. Yeah. So like, you know, maybe that's kind of like the Emelin injury in in Montreal, where it's like a bit of a mix, like a disguised blessing, where you you, you some of your depth players are actually better. And you know that uh, Chris Weidman guy on Ottawa actually seems pretty good. So maybe they do have a bit more defensive depth than I'm giving them credit for. Yeah. Well, up, up front though, it's rough. Like I I remember uh, I was looking at you know differences between top six and bottom six for all the teams and. The Senators, like especially in terms of their ability to generate goals, just completely fall off the map with their bottom six, and it, it just speaks to the fact that listen, they acquired Alex Burrows, who's like a depth afterthought on a on the second worst team in the league, and he all of a sudden just like moved the needle dramatically for 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 their uh, for their bottom six group. Like, there's just so much Tom Pyatt and Chris Kelly involved, and. It's it pretty much comes down to those three guys that we mentioned earlier and whether they can do enough and if they're playing against Bergeron all the time, like they're not probably gonna win that matchup. So I just don't see where the senators are gonna be able to generate enough offense to to outscore the Bruins here. Like it's that's pretty much what it boils down to. So it's not a very uh satisfying uh conclusion for us to to answer the question of how do the senators win, but it's just the reality at this point, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. And like we haven't even mentioned David Krejci, who's, you know, also excellent. But I wonder, I think the big question for me in this series is who is Alexander Burroughs going to bite? 
Is it going to be Bergeron again, like the Stanley Cup final? You're just really trying to uh, trying to stir things up in this podcast. We're bringing up, bringing up old history, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think we're both leaning towards the Bruins. I'm probably going to just be safe and pick them in five because I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to stick to my rule of not picking teams to sweep. I feel like the Senators will probably win one at least at, at least at home. But it's uh, this is probably as one sided a series on paper as I think there is in this first round like I, I, don't, I as you mentioned like at least with the Leafs you could envision a scenario where they just score enough goals to just blow the Capitals out of the water for whatever reason but for this one it's it, it's really tough like this is the Senators could in theory if Anderson plays as well as you said squeeze out a bunch of 2-1 victories maybe but it's, it's going to be tough otherwise yeah absolutely and I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you that it's probably going to be five because Anderson will steal a game mm-hmm. or or Carlson will just you know go MVP on us for one game and rack up like six or seven points and everyone will be like, Oh my God, why is this guy not in the hall of fame already? But, uh, yeah, I, I just can't see them winning. I can't envision a scenario that works for them. You know that the, 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 this, this five minute clip here is going to be played back to us. Like, Oh, we can't envision how it's going to happen. This is as one side as it gets when the Bru- when the Bruins lose <laughs> in like five or six games, you know, it's happening. Oh, for sure. And like, I already get, there's a guy who emails me like every day because I wrote a column in November saying that the uh, senators were due bat- to fall back in the standings. And like, honestly, they were and like, they didn't. Sometimes yeah. crazy things happen. But uh, when I, I mentioned that I was kind of sad that there wasn't going to be a battle of Ontario and I said the Leafs uh, screwed up their last game. And this guy emailed me and he's like, screwed up? How? They have an easier matchup now. And I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Ottawa fans, man. You think you're better than Washington? And like, there's so much, like, their fan base is so funny to me. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know what? I, I love them. I mean, they, they help us do our jobs because uh, they're very they're very vocal and feisty online and it makes uh, it makes hockey Twitter a funner place. So I'll give them 100%. that. 100%. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's wrap this up with the final series. Uh, penguins blue jackets um you know the elephant in the room here is are the penguins going to be able to cover for for Latang's absence in the lineup because as much more depth as they have this year compared to last where it, they absolutely would not have been able to do so it's still like so much runs through Latang and his ability when he's healthy to play like 28 29 30 minutes on any given night and do it very well without any real dip in play like Without him, I just don't, as well as Justin Schultz has played this season, uh, I, I just don't see who's going to pick up those minutes and be able to even provide like a, a reasonable uh, proxy for it. Like, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm struggling with with Pittsburgh. I feel like, you know, Crosby's on a mission. Malkin looks as good as ever this year. You know, like their forwards are, I think, much better than Columbus, but man, that, that Latang injury is just brutal to cover for. And this is one that I think goes seven, and, and I feel like it, it might go seven games and needing overtime. Like, that's how close it's going to be. Uh, these two teams are they're both rough, physical, high-scoring teams. They've got, they play entertaining styles. I feel like it's, it's just going to be almost a coin flip. I feel like the Penguins would have won this series in, like, six or so games, if they had Latang, mm-hmm. but that that's such a big loss. It's such a big loss. Like even if the Penguins get out of this series, I feel like that's the end of their cup hopes this year. Was losing Latang like because as much as uh, like people know how good Latang is, I feel like he gets underestimated because of him being on the Penguins and people are so focused on on Crosby and Malkin. Like he is 
almost as big of a piece as those two for that team. And, you know, he was such a big piece last year in the playoffs. I think he was averaging like 29 minutes a game. That's something that you can't replace, you know. And even if they had replaced it with a Shattenkirk, uh, I think their chances still go down quite a bit because Shattenkirk doesn't play those heavy minutes. So, like, putting in Justin Schultz, like, he's had a great year, but I think Schultz, he's been a bit lucky this year. Mm -hmm. That might not translate in the playoffs. I, I I think the main question is whether or not Columbus's like young defense can hold up in the playoffs because it's something they haven't really experienced. Maybe Zach Wierenski struggles in the in the playoffs. You never know. But this is this is a tough one. And, you know, it, Penguins. I, I feel bad for them because this is again kind of like uh, the the Capitals. This is like along the, the back end of their window, right? Yeah. But well, at least they have yeah, last year's covered. This is true. They have that to to hang their hats on. But I feel like this one, this was taken away from them by that Latang injury, which, you know, men, what about Chris Latang? Like all the injuries that he's had, you know, all the concussions, now his neck, a stroke a couple years ago, like yeah. that poor guy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's rough, especially since, you know, Carlson was having such an epic season last year that uh, whenever you had any discussions for the Norris, like everything had to start and, and, and end through him, even though he didn't wind up winning it, as everyone knows by now. But like Latang was was right up there for the final like 50 or so games of the year. You know, Mike Sullivan got a lot of credit for the changes he made coming in and, and freeing the guys up to play a different brand of hockey than they were playing previously. But a lot of it was just the fact that Latang was healthy and just playing out of his mind and, and he really was the engine for them. And the complicating this series for, for us in trying to figure out how it's going to play out is that both teams are kind of trending in the wrong direction. Like even, even before Latang's injury, the Penguins numbers have been plummeting, uh, for the past couple of weeks and, you know, they had, listen, Crosby and Malkin, uh, are still going to get it done. And I think I'm going to pick the Penguins in this series just because I don't want to be the schmuck that, uh, is betting against them. But at the same <laughs> time, like, there's not very much else to hang your hat on here where the numbers have been down across the board, like Kessel's line and, and, you know, that HBK line that we heard so much about during last year's epic playoff run has been pretty bad this season. And I don't know. They're just, they're, they're not the same team as they were last year, even without, considering that Latang's not going to be there. But at the same time, like the Blue Jackets, after that amazing run they had in the middle of the season, uh, have come back down to earth. Their power play, which was the talk of the league at the start of the year, has really fallen off uh, in terms of its efficiency. And they haven't really been playing well lately. Like they, I, I know there's some stats out there about how they haven't beaten a playoff team or a, or a top team in, in, a, in a long time. And that's kind of alarming that just... They've been just kind of coasting off of that, off the, off of that winning streak they had earlier in the year, and you know all the wins count the same, and they bank them and good on them. They deserve it, but it's they're definitely not playing uh, inspiring hockey heading into this series. So it's just like I I, I don't really know which way to go. Uh, how much do you think the the like uh, after Washington, the next three Metro teams have just been coasting? into the playoffs because like they didn't really have any challenge to them making the playoffs you know like mm-hmm. and you know pittsburgh columbus new york no matter what all those teams were going to draw a tough team because even uh, new york with the wild card was going to draw the team that won the atlantic you know unless it was the senators they were probably hoping it was that but uh, yeah. didn't work out that way but like those three teams in their last 30 games won 10 yeah combined yeah. so like I, I do wonder like definitely both those teams they faded down the stretch, but I I wonder how much of it is just like there was nothing at stake, so they just coasted. 
Yeah, I think that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, especially, uh, you know, it makes a bit less sense maybe for the Blue Jackets who like have a lot of young guys that haven't, haven't been here before and experienced this type of success. So like it, it, it would stand to reason that they would want to keep trying to win as many games as possible and, and keep playing their best hockey. Whereas like for the Penguins team who won the cup last year and have been playing a lot of games recently, like it, it makes sense that they wouldn't be taking this regular season as seriously as, as, as some other teams. Like they would just be trying to get ready for the postseason and, and make sure they they're set for that. So I, I would buy that argument more for them for the blue jackets. It's, it's, it's just bizarre to me that they haven't been winning or playing as well. And, and it's alarming, but it's not like the penguins have been blowing teams out of the water either. So it could really go either way. Yeah. And I, I wonder also with the blue jackets, like how much of their position in the standings was due to that, you know, incredible win streak that they had and, you know, how much of our, our analysis of them is based around that and their, and their power play, you know, like I, I'm just like looking at the standings now and they're 17, 12 and four in the 33 games since the beginning of February. Mm-hmm. That's okay, but it's only 13th in the league. So, like, are they actually a heavy hitter? Because, like, even with the Penguins fading down the stretch, they're fifth at 19-8-6. and six. So, yes. like, are are they that big heavy hitter that we think they are, or were they just a really hot team for a good long stretch and then a good team for the rest of the year? I think you know, the, answer's, like, the, maybe, answer's, the answer's probably somewhere in between, like it is most on most occasions. Like, I don't think that they're one of the top handful of teams in the league, but at the same time, I don't think that it was just entirely like a percentage driven mirage either. Like they, there's definitely things they do well that uh, lead to, lead to, to winning hockey games. So I, I, I don't, to, I don't know. To a high PDO yes, there, Dimitri? Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I mean. <laughs> I wonder, I think maybe the X factor in this is like Bobrovsky versus Murray, right? And like Murray kind of faded down the stretch, whereas like Bobrovsky was crazy good down the stretch, despite the, the blue jackets playing terrible so uh, i wonder if that that's like the big difference maker without Latang in is that like Bobrovsky's having a career year that you know rivals carry price's heart year in 2014 and like we, we saw in uh, in 2014 what carry price was able to do in the playoffs like that series against the bruins the canadians had no business being in that series i mean they played douglas murray three times and they still somehow won it in seven and yeah. you know part of that was uh, the heroics of uh, pk suban but you know, Carey Price, I, th- I think he had like a 946 save percentage in that series, which, you know, I don't know if uh, Bobrovsky's capable of doing that against a team like the Penguins, but mm-hmm. he could definitely be extremely frustrating to play against. Yeah, he's been uh, he's been nothing short of amazing this season. And I am I generally don't vote for goalies uh, for the heart because if you put one guy there, like you, you could make the argument that just like the top three Vesna guys should probably just be the top three heart guys because the goalies <laughs> yeah. are like definitely the most valuable player on the ice uh, throughout the season. But like just the season Bobrovsky's having, I mean, he really, there's a, a strong case to be made that he's been the most valuable player in the league because he's just been a rock for them and 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 his numbers are, are are jarring especially compared to some of the other guys like we mentioned how you know Carey Price's numbers took a bit of a dip this year and Lundqvist really fell off and Corey Schneider who just been like the the gold standard of consistency had, re- had fought, fell off as well and you weren't seeing you know, Dumnik was crazy at the start of the year but he definitely came back down to earth but Bobrovsky just maintained that like 930 plus save percentage for the full season and I if he can if he can do that for this series it's going to be a, a a unique challenge but if he can then I think the Blue Jackets have a very good chance 
Yeah, I feel I feel like the one thing that always like will make me push towards picking Pittsburgh in like a first round series is like even without Latang, how on earth does any team stop a one two punch of Kessel or not Kessel, uh Kessel's, Kessel's on the third third punch, yes. but uh, you know, Crosby and Malkin at center. You know, like no team can realistically match up against that and, and like win that match. You can like mitigate one of those guys, but you can never take both out and you know apparently Malkin's like fully healthy now and everything too so and Crosby man he's just looked so on a mission all this year it's like he remembered what a cup feels like and he's like I want that again I'm taking that again <laughs> yeah that was fun so, yeah <laughs> he's just like he's a robot you know like you can't get him off his game anymore like he's not even uh jawing at refs as much so I feel like that that leans me towards Pittsburgh even without Latang, but I feel like it's going to be that coin flip seven game overtime. I mean, obviously there's going to be uh, you know moments whatever they're on the power play that they're going to be sharing the ice at the same time, but like realistically, what you could have like third north of thirty five, maybe close to forty minutes worth out of the sixty of either Malkin or Crosby being on the ice for the Penguins, like that's that's a nightmare because as you mentioned, like you can, you can try and, and make do and cover for one of them and just really allocate all your resources, especially at home to try to stop one of them. But it's like when you're playing in Pittsburgh, how are you, how are like, what's your, what's your game plan for defending those guys other than just hope Obrowski's out of his mind? Because I don't think that any team really has uh, the defensive weapons to be able to match up with both of them at the same time. No, I don't think there is a game plan. I mean, Washington's the only team that I can think of that can match that offense, you know, like, and, and it's just a matter of, it's not even about defending them. It's just about having like, the puck more than them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what you got to try to do. It, Cause I feel like, especially in the playoffs, like Crosby is more like clinical and tactical. He, he's the most like technically brilliant player the league has ever seen. Whereas Malkin is just a beast that will plow through you and like score and then barrel himself through the net into the boards you know, like it's two completely different styles to try to match up against. And I feel like that adds to how difficult it is because you can't just, you know, have one blanket style to defend against one, the way one team plays like their first and second lines play completely different kinds of games. And Crosby can elevate guys like Sheary and Gensel to be, you know, first line, the scorers, like the depth that that team is able to have because of that. Like and I know that everybody's freaking out about Connor Sheary this year and the the even strength numbers that he put up, but I don't think it's super controversial to say that he's probably like a good third line winger, mm-hmm. and playing with Crosby makes him awesome because I feel like he's done that for a lot of players now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, I feel like I could probably have a, a score at least a couple goals playing with Crosby, but maybe not, maybe not. I'm not. I, I, yeah. You'd have to act, I'd have to have someone like escorting me to areas in the ice because I can't. <laughs> I can't actually get there myself. I'm, so it's kind of I'm kind of like Jerome Ginla at this point of his career is what I'm trying to say. Well, hey, um, Ginla can snipe. <laughs> uh, all right, man. I think uh, I think we covered all our bases here. Um, you said that you're doing a, a little bit of a preview there for RDS. Um, what other stuff are you doing this week, and uh, where can people check it all out? Well, you can definitely check out my stuff on RDS. I've got preview. I've got the preview of the Habs Rangers series separately up because obviously they want to cover Habs more than anything else. But I've got uh, Eastern Conference and Western Conference previews coming out there. I've got uh, another preview coming out for uh, Sportsnet later in the week, mm-hmm. and you know I've, I'll probably record another podcast at some time this week uh, at the Andrew Berkshire podcast, which you can check out. Uh, 
through my Twitter, it's the top pinned tweet. So when are you, you going to get me on? When are you going to get me on that thing, man? I know we you talked know, about it a few weeks ago, but we should yeah, make we it happen. Yeah, I wanted to make it happen last week, but I just got overrun with work. I had yeah. to do a couple extra things, but yeah, let's definitely let's try to do it uh, sometime in the first round. All right, I'm all for it, man. Uh, you've 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 come on my show a few times. It's uh, it's about time I return the favor. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for coming on, and uh, yeah, we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk as the playoffs get going here. Thanks, man. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast.